welcome to another episode of Now You're Talking with D. This month's episode is especially dear to my heart. It's all about travel and specifically the future of travel post-COVID. My guest is a travel PR guru who owns two companies in New York City and has been in the travel business for more than 25 years. She represents everything from small boutique hotels to big conglomerates to cruise lines to safari outfitters. She is someone I have known for more than 20 years and a personal friend. So why am I talking to her today? Travel is in my DNA. I came to America as a toddler, and every year, my family of five would pack up our Chevy Citation and drive 12-plus hours from Detroit to the East Coast for vacation. Now, granted, my parents' idea of vacation was visiting relatives, but we still had a grand time spending summers in New York State, Maine, and Canada. I couldn't wait to get out of school, pack my little bag of essentials, and sit between my sisters in our tiny car and head on these long-haul trips. It wasn't always smooth sailing, as my sisters and I would inevitably fight in the cramped confines of the back seat, but we were super excited to be going somewhere other than our backyard. As a journalist, words are my life, but travel is my passion. Some people love music journalism, others are into politics, but for me, it was travel. Now, when I first moved to New York City, I wanted to be a celebrity journalist. Working at a now-defunct movie magazine and interviewing celebrities for a living cured me of that. I've been a travel writer for more than 25 years. I've written two travel books, as well as articles for a number of national and international publications, and I've been a staff editor at a men's magazine, the only woman of color and the only woman, for many years, covering food, wine, celebrities, and you guessed it, travel. Now, you will never get rich by travel writing, unless you're the late Anthony Bourdain, but what you do make in income is balanced by the experiences and memories you'll cherish forever. How else could someone like me, with my background, get to visit such dynamic places as New Zealand, Norway, Argentina, Morocco, Bora Bora, and the Maldives? I flew in business class, got wined and dined at my destination, and stayed in lavish hotel suites and villas, some of which were over water. But for all that luxury travel I have done, my favorite trips were ones where I was roughing it, so to speak. Some of my fondest memories include backpacking across Europe for two months with only $900 in my pocket, hiking in the pristine Albanian Alps by myself, and learning to sail in Greece on a 12-person boat where we took turns cooking when we weren't learning proper steering techniques and how to tie a variety of knots. Now, my guest and I will discuss how COVID has impacted the industry, how you can help hotels and restaurants rebound, how private travel is on the rise, why Americans are resorting to resorts this year, and why travel insurance is a necessity post-COVID. Now, before we get started, please subscribe to, review, and like my podcast on Google, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, etc. And thanks again for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Now You're Talking with Dee. With me today is Jennifer Hawkins, who is a travel PR guru, maestro, whatever you want to call it, in New York City. And we're all, we're going to talk about 
travel, everything about travel, post-COVID travel, pre-COVID travel, travel trends, uh, you know, how to help. Um, so welcome from New York. Say hi, Jennifer. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. I'm miss seeing you in person. I miss traveling with you. I miss sending you Aww. on the road. <laughs> yeah, I miss it too. I miss it too. You have no idea this past year and a half. Uh, I mean, it's been difficult for everybody around the world, but uh, for any of us who write about travel or in the travel industry, it's hit our industry so hard in so many ways, not to minimize how it's impacted other industries, but it's basically shut us down. Um, and there's oh. so many businesses, yeah, so many businesses that have gone out of business because of it. Um, and somehow Hawkins PR, uh, which is Jennifer's company has persevered and survived this. So how the heck did you do that? <laughs> I, I love that you're saying that. Um, well, I will say, I mean, dialing back a year ago, yeah. the travel, we, we had just finished, we're in New York City and we have clients that are all over the world. We work with hotels, resorts, spas, cruise lines, airlines, tour operators in every continent. Literally, we're even launching a expedition ship in Antarctica. So, you know, we, and business was great, you know, like, you know, 14 months ago. And then, and we had just finished doing a showcase for all of our clients who flew in from all over, from Ireland and Africa and Peru and all over the place to meet the media and just, you know, meet each other and, you know, celebrate sort of a travel boon, you know, the economy was doing well. And, you know, the travel industry, and when I say travel, I include hospitality because that includes restaurants and anything that sort of, you know, touches uh, the, the, the travel industry, you know, I kind of equate it to like, just, we did not you know, dip in our business, but we fell off the cliff. And I, when I say we, I mean, I have a PR agency, yes, but it really our clients, like having our clients one by one have to endure their own sort of property shutdowns and layoffs and furloughs. And it was a very heartbreaking time because, you know, as much as I think of myself as a publicist and somebody in the media, I think of myself as somebody very ensconced and uh, a champion of the travel industry. So, you know, not only were my, you know, contemporaries and clients and peers and media, like everybody sort of, you know, having to shut down very, very quickly, you know, I had to like lay off a lot of people, which was yeah. just tremendously heartbreaking. So, I mean, listen, persevering is, is all relative. You know, we, we had to really, you know, scale way, way back based on the business that we came in, to, you know, that we were sort of dealing with. But, you know, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the travel industry globally, you know, and to have such a catastrophic event all happen at once was, you know, obviously just genuinely unprecedented. And I've gone through as an entrepreneur in different scenarios, such as the economic, you know, recession in 08. And I was living and working in New York in 9-11 in the hospitality industry. So those all impacted, but it wasn't at a global, global level. So the persevering is, is certainly something that we, as you know, speaking as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, 
it allowed me to have, not even allowed me, sort of forced me to take great stock in how and what we wanted to do with the company. And we had to like kind of deconstruct, reconstruct. So I would say a year later now, we are happily seeing things kind of steady and, and be a lot more, um, people are getting vaccinated obviously and hotels are starting to open, especially in North America. And I would say the resort piece is, is, is doing better than, than the hotel piece, but that's allowed us to like hire and, and be a lot more proactive this, this last, you know, at least probably several months. So um, I appreciate your, your sort of nod to persevering, but it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a crazy year, Shandana. It was, it was, and, yeah. and you know, also equally we work with and watching our favorite publications have to like, you know, do their own pause and re and repurpose. It, it's been mm -hmm. equally, you know, um, heartbreaking and, and sort of challenging to watch, to watch that segment of, of media have to downsize and, and rethink how they're going to do business. The depths of the impact, I mean, like you said, 9-11 impacted the travel industry, um, impacted the world and the travel industry in particular because of uh, all the airlines shutting down and all the new regulations on sa uh, safety and um, getting on board. You had to, you know, the bottles became smaller and you had to take your shoes off and all of that. And the airlines didn't recover for, I think, what, two years, two or three years. So that was just one part of the industry that was affected there. This time, mm -hmm. like you said, it's everything. It's from, you know, the big behemoth, uh, you know, uh, corporations and, and hotel uh, conglomerates, you know, like the Hyatts and the Marriott's of the world. And then you've got the small mom and pop boutique shops and you know, small mom and top boutique hotels and restaurants that you represent that were impacted even more because that's their baby. You know, that's all they have. There's nothing to fall back on. And if they have only three employees and they have to shut down, that's three employees, that's that's gone. That's everything gone. So it's been really hard to watch it being a travel writer and not and still writing about travel and not being able to travel so doing it from your desk to sort of keep the inspiration going so to speak but knowing that so many people i know have have just lost their jobs or livelihoods or careers or their hotels or their businesses too um and it's affected other people in their employment is really hard to watch um going back to like pre-COVID times and travel, do you sort of look back on that and say, wow, we did, we did a lot of like really interesting things. We didn't ever think that something like this would happen. And now we have to really just get down to the basics or like, what, what was it like pre-COVID? I can't even remember it anymore, honestly, other yeah. than there were a lot of press trips and, you know, you'd get to go to a lot of really amazing places and you get a great assignment and then you'd write about it. And then the next place, you know, there'd be another, um, another place to write about, but can you talk a little bit about what it was like pre COVID? Yeah, sure. And like I said, we, we, it was, I, I think the economy was doing, you know, fairly decently and our clients, we were, you know, I, I started two companies partly because, so I have Hawkins International, which is 
and we're talking to you under this auspices, but we also have Maverick uh, Creative, which bring that up only because we started seeing so much new business come our way in the Hawkins side that we couldn't take it all under Hawkins because we, you know, we were running up against certain conflict. So we created a second business. So that's, that's sort of indicative of the fact that like, yes, business was booming and also internationally, we were getting more and more uh, requests and queries and, and contracts from, you know, we had a lot of clients in South America, throughout Peru and, and throughout Africa and uh, Europe. We established a LA office because there was some heating up in like the Pacific and in Asia. So, you know, there was, you know, people were going everywhere and anywhere. And, and pe there's like this, and especially with the onset of influencers, all this inspirational travel sort of content that has been popping up over the last couple of years on social media, I think has, you know, inspired a lot of people to, you know, especially pre-COVID to like, you know, go to Thailand, which maybe they never would have in the past. You know, there's this, there was a real link to this aspirational uh, time pre-COVID where people felt very uh, comfortable just, you know, popping out to somewhere for a long weekend or taking two months and kind of journeying through, you know, again, like backpacking maybe through Asia or something like that. You know, and we're mostly in the luxury sector, but even that was like, you know, on the on the on the increase. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it it stopped everybody in their tracks a year ago, and I I think that it's as the America America the different states, of course, they're all a little different in how they're managing, you know, uh, testing and and vaccines. You know, it's pretty there's a high demand right now for people to get back on, on and, and out on the road. And I think mm -hmm. that I was just on a call the other day, which is kind of interesting. American hotels, especially resorts and more remote destinations, sort of like the Wyoming's, Montana's and Colorado's of the world, those properties are selling out, if not sold out for the summer. I mean, you right. really can't get, you know, a, a space. Um, campsites are filled up, um, you know, there's still a lot of apprehension and trepidation and misunderstanding about traveling internationally because every state has a different rule. I mean, not every state, every country has a different rule um, about quarantining and testing. And, you know, there's a whole vaccine passport sort of conversation that's happening that nobody really understands. And when I say nobody, I was just on a kind of a high level call recently with travel advisors and travel editors and other publicists and everybody is sort of scratching their head on how to promote international destinations because every destination is clearly very different. And I will yeah. say that one of the top CEOs from one of the uh, leading international hotel companies, I didn't really know how to take this information, but he said, in Europe, we really need the business, mm -hmm. but we're really scared of all these vaccinated Americans descending on Europe. <laughs> yeah. So, so I understand that dilemma of like, you know, but, you know, are they going to even have people on the properties 
to staff the, the hotels, let alone the destinations, you know, and the attractions and the other experiences at a destination. So I think that the travel world and industry as a whole as a collective is in a real sort of holding pattern, but certainly the US is, is seeing, you know, an uptick in, in business, but there's also a real dilemma in getting, in hiring people. Every, every ah, yeah, hotel is having a difficult time um, hiring back people because people either have to like go find a different job or, you know, just, you know, moved away or, you know, what have you. So I think that's the next um, challenge ahead of the industry is bringing people back to, to their jobs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been reading a lot about that, especially with the restaurant owners and, and bars that like they're having so much trouble finding people to, to staff bartenders and, and wait staff and whatever, mm -hmm. because a lot of people, like you said, have left the cities and have gone like maybe to their home, home state or home city to hometown to be with their parents because it's cheaper and safer to just be there and they don't want to be alone and say a New York City apartment when they don't know what's going to happen. So it's like trying to lure those people back um, into an industry that they're like, is it going to be stable? Are we going back to what it was pre-COVID? I don't think we can go back to what it was pre-COVID. I think it's changed forever, but that doesn't mean that travel is not here to stay because as we see, people really want to travel. Like they're itching. That's the one thing that they're like, the first thing I'm going to do is take a trip and go somewhere. Even like you said, like, even if it's a campsite, even if it's a, a resort. And that's really interesting that you say resorts have seen an uptick. Do you think it's because they have, um, it's, it's more about wellness and it's more about relaxation and space? Uh, rather than somebody going to a city? I think it's space. I think there's a biophilia piece to it, a social distancing piece to it, a sort of sense that, you know, you can just by, you know, nature of just the destination, even like the hotel, you know, there's, there's typically like a lot more opportunity to be outside, you know, in, at a beach or in gardens or so, yeah, I mean, that's, and also I think, listen, city hotels have always relied on business travel. The business travel yeah. is gonna take a while to come back. So even though many of our hotel clients that are in urban destinations, they will get some weekend business, but the problem is not all of the, like I was just in LA, I'm in New York and you can go to any museum and most of it's by appointment or even just by time. But LA last week, the museums aren't open. So like why did, what's a, what's a you know, LA is kind of a different kind of destination because it does have beach and it does have hiking and things you can do outdoors. But some, some you know, of these urban destinations if they're, you know, restricted in terms of what a traveler can do, there's not as many incentives, even though a hotel might be open. And then you add in the fact that many of them do kind of do that leisure travel, which is, oh, I'm going to, you know, Boston for business, I'll just stay the weekend. So there's not as much of that right now. So the, the hotels in, that are in either kind of more warmer, you know, like our Miami hotels, they're doing very, very well. LA hotels, they're doing very well, well, even though they're 
kind of quote urban, um, but you know, they can get people outside or they have a pool, they have, you know, walkable cities or you know, outdoor cities. So right. I, I'm, you know, and I, I think that also, you know, I heard that for the first time, Alaska is basically sold out, but partly wow. they don't have a lot of capacity anyway, because a lot mm -hmm. of the travelers come through the cruise lines, but the cruise lines aren't currently allowed to travel through uh, Alaska. So any trip that's happening to Alaska currently right now within like probably this through the summer is going to be land-based or like little mm -hmm. plane, like tiny plane based but not cruise. And that's where they obviously get a lot of their business. So it's almost impossible to get anything booked in Alaska right now. Unless Amazing. you're paying super, you know, premium high level. Um, yeah, it's already sort of expensive to, to travel there and to stay there in some way, in some ways too, because of the, there's not a lot of competition. Like you said, there's not a lot of places, so it sells out, but that's amazing. And yeah, and going back to the cruise question, I'm, I'm very curious because um, cruises are notoriously not very good for the environment and there's a certain clientele that really is into cruising. What has changed in the cruising industry? What is happening now? What's gonna happen in the future? You know, cruising is going to happen. There is a very sophisticated and loyal cruise guest. And the one thing I would say is the cruise industry was, you know, in America, they have not had any, you know, ships in the oceans, like, you know, for over a year, you know, they're starting to do that internationally. Some, some countries are. So I think that the, the protocols for, I think every traveler on, on a cruise lines, and I'm talking mostly like what I would know of as American cruise lines, are, you know, you're gonna to have to have proof of vaccinations and mm -hmm. the protocols are gonna be so controlled and so in terms of protocols of cleanliness and testing and all that kind of thing and sort of requirements. I think it's gonna be one of the safer places to be, to be honest. I'm actually looking really? forward to getting on a cruise, yes. Um, because I hear a lot about the cruise industry through the reading I do, and we have a client in the cruise industry, and they're, they're, it's almost like, it's like, you know, Uber on steroids sort of like protocol. And they're so ready yeah. just to help guests feel comfortable that have that confidence. But, you know, they, one of our clients announced their 20, I think it was 2022 or 2023 um, world cruise, which is, you know, a long, like at least a 30 day destination or trip and very, very expensive. And it like sold out. So, I mean, really? there, there's a real pent up demand for cruising. Yes. Yes. I'm very, I'm very, honestly, I, I will say I'm very surprised by that because I would think that the cruise industry and the cruise cruising customer would be a little, little hesitant to go on because of horror stories that you hear about floating ships that are floating for months and you can't, you know, disembark yeah. because, you I know, mean, it's like, like some apocalyptic scenario yeah. that I'm thinking of. 
Um, but that's interesting that you say that like, no, they're, they're in it, especially for something like that. That's like a once in a lifetime sort of trip. I would do it myself, even though I'm not a big cruising fan, but I would definitely do it around the world it's gonna uh, be, uh, on a boat. On a yeah. yeah. You've got like full on, you know, medical staff and, you know, lots of, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's, They've already done a good job, I think, even up pre-pandemic, but now it's it's going to be sort of amplified and, and even more heightened. So um, they know that they have that sort of perception, but on the other side, they have an incredibly loyal cruise, you know, audience that is just ready. And you know, their Seaborn is going to be launching a their first voyage is going to be in Greece this summer and I don't know how it's doing in terms of sales but I think it's doing quite well and you know just everybody's going to Greece right now <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's going to be like <laughs> going to be the place you're, you're not going to be able to probably like meet a, a, a Greek you're going to be you know meeting like you know Americans all over the place yeah. um so yeah I mean Listen, I think that people are just getting very creative with how they, you know, the other trend we're seeing in terms of people trying to get back out on the road is private travel. And, you know, just having this sense of comfort. And when I say private travel, I mean doing takeovers of small boutique hotels or private air. We have a private aviation company that is. 400% plus up in business this last year. I mean, people have not wanted to stop traveling. They're just traveling now a little bit of a different way. So they're buying out dude ranches or, you know, villa rentals, huge. Yep. 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 Be sort of cordoned off and sort of, you know, your, your, your own experience and, that's why the Caribbean has, has done so well this, this last winter is if they were allowed, if you were allowed to go on the island, you know, mostly people wanted, you know, to um, have a very private, intimate experience versus, yeah. big, you know, party resort experience. Very interesting. Uh, going back to when you were talking about Greece as the destination in Europe, is there any other, do you see any other trends of people wanting to come to uh, other parts of Europe? Is it similar to what's happening in the US or is it more like, uh, no, they, they want to go to Greece only or they're avoiding Europe uh, until they see how things go here because the vaccination rollout has been different by country by country. Uh, here in Germany, it's been very slow. Um, or is it more like they're itching to go back to like Paris, Madrid, London, Rome, uh, the I big cities? everybody's that- itching to go back to those, to those places that you just named. I think, yeah. you know, I talked to a travel advisor this week and he said people are, Americans are double booking. So they might be booking a holiday in Jackson Hole, but they're also booking in Paris. So that what's mm-hmm. happening is there's what, what came out of the pandemic, and I don't know how long it'll hold, is much more flexible booking opportunities, right? So there's yeah. insulation for like hotel, airline, you know, any kind of transportation or is 
you know, usually you'd have to like kind of lock yourself in, right? So now people are double booking and sort of, you know, if they're booking something in August, they might be like, okay, I've got like a backup in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And then I've got a backup in Paris. Like if it opens, I'll, you know, I think they really want to go to Paris, but yeah. uh, or wherever, you know, like Rome, you know, uh, and London, you know, the UK, because they're more on track with, uh, vaccinations, sort of like the U.S., I think there will be a, a pretty big uptick in travel this summer to yeah. the U.K. Um, although I, I did notice that when I was in California last week, like California is really promoting California travel to Californians. And I think a lot of places are doing that because I think the U.K. has a campaign like that too. Like don't go abroad, yeah. stay here. Yeah. But be creative with like so I, I've been noticing those kind of campaigns, this these sort of staycation campaigns, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was interesting, even just in California, you know, that they for one, they need the the economic dollars, you know, they want the dollars to stay in the state because California again is a is a highly reliant tourism state. And um, you know, I think they would, you know, want they want to encourage people to get out and about, but uh, keep the dollars in the state. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Deutsche Bahn, which is the, the big train company here in Germany, government regulated, they did a campaign, I think late last year, where they did a, um, it was a visual campaign, just static ads of, uh, you know, imagery of like, say, places in Thailand, like a garden in Ooh. Thailand, and then like the the equivalent in Germany. And they actually looked very, very oh, similar. And you were that. sort of like, oh, this is in Germany. Well, I don't have to go far because they were like, well, we're still running even though we're on a limited schedule. I mean, every train was fully booked because people still had to go home mm -hmm. or you know, they were escaping the cities or whatever. And it was a pretty smart campaign that they did and got a lot of people to do these staycations. And I think that that is a, I think that's a trend that's, probably going to stay. Speaking of other trends, there's a lot of trends, experiential travel, regenerative travel, like we said, you know, helping the local economy to wellness, to conservation. Um, which ones are you think are the ones that are going to stay? Are there any other things that we should be looking out for? Um, and then we can talk a bit about sustainability because that is a, a trend that obviously is is not really a trend. Uh, it shouldn't be a trend. It should be. Yeah. It should be here for to stay. But I want to talk about like what all the different travel companies are saying. You've done your own uh, travel trends. You know, Skift this did theirs. Booking.com did theirs. Culture Trip did theirs. You know, a lot of a lot of places are doing these um, uh, reports. So mm -hmm. I'd like to get an idea of what you think is what do you think is happening. You well, touched upon it a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that um, for one, and you know, I don't have all of the you know hardline statistics of what the the impact of the travel industry is globally, but it's in the trillions. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're talking about not just like a hotel, you know, I I think about I had a hotel in the in the Caribbean that got damaged by a hurricane, right? And they had to close for several years. And so this is pre-pandemic, but this is just a good sort of micro, you know, ex example, which is, so you're not just losing the couple hundred dollars on 
the property because this was like a dominant property in the Caribbean around this island. But you're also losing the business that, you know, like jobs are being lost by the guy who runs the fishing boats and mm -hmm. sells the fish or runs like the sunset cruise or has, you know, the restaurants and taxi service or, you know, it, it's, it's this crazy, you know, very, very uh, tenuous web that the travel industry and the impact it has on communities that become very reliant on tourism, you know, it's, it's, it's tenuous as, as, we've, as we've seen. So I, I do think that, you know, like we have clients right now in Africa and they're, uh, it's wilderness safaris. And I, I am very proud to work with them because they're a, they're a conservation company first and they open, they build and open very beautiful, luxury, high-end expensive lodges because they want less impact in terms of like less people. So they don't build a lot of, uh, you know, like lodges and, and, mm -hmm. and bungalows, but they want to, you know, like the last lodge that they opened in Botswana, it's very beautiful. It's like, you know, architectural digest worthy, but really the, the, the reason it's the why behind they're there, which is it's actually in the path of like, an, an ancient elephant migration um, path. So like it's, they're, they're into the why and, the, and how mm -hmm. they pay for buying land and sustaining land and also helping um, local jobs. They provide a lot of jobs to, to locals, which is, you know, cultural preservation. So these people don't have to like move to cities or, you know, they can stay within their familial and local um, areas. And then they, you know, put a lot back into, uh, you know, obviously helping the, the, the animals. I mean, you know, just like one of their initiatives is to raise money and pay for rangers to really watch out for the rhinos. So meaning yeah. like, it's already been happening, but because people haven't been traveling, you know, those funds go down, right? So that's yeah. where I think that people have to, when they're starting to really think about those big international trips, those like wish list, bucket list trips, those bucket lists should sort of be really also should be, there should be a consideration of like, who needs this money? I mean, listen, I went to like, you know, you know, a local store here recently. Cause I, I was like, Oh my God, there's nobody in the store. I want to like buy something from them. You know what I mean? It's like on a micro level in your own little neighborhood, you should be thinking that way. But on a macro level, when you're traveling, when you're planning your next big travel trip, you should be thinking about where my, my money, my, and not just my money at that hotel, but because you have to remember all of that, that uh, impact is is really fanned out so there is no shame in really putting that into your consideration for your travel plans and i would love yeah. that to be for there be a more concerted effort and, and and sort of campaign to um get people to you know have that as their as their real strong consideration 
um, yeah. that travel impact. So I, I think that, you know, people are still going to want like beautiful, lovely, you know, engaging, adventurous, you know, new experiences. Um, and I think everybody in the travel industry is, is poised to provide that. And I don't, I think that there's going to be a little bit more um, effort that needs to go into in how these trips are thought of and planned, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see once, once things become more stable and there's a, a higher level of travel confidence, I think, you know, and there's so much pent up a demand. And I was just listening to, you know, the radio this morning. I mean, people haven't been spending money, right? So yeah. people are going to want to go on these bigger, more bolder, interesting uh, trips. But I, I think that the, the destinations need to really think about like how they let their, their travel advisors and also their guests know how special it is and how important it is that they're coming to, to visit them and visit that yeah. destination because it's, it's going to help everybody in that, in that you know, particular location. And not just like you know, the people, but it could be like natural environment and the, again, like the local communities, which have been the schools and, and so on. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful that people will be very mindful of, of their big, their, those next big trips. Yeah, I agree with you 100 and a million percent. Um, it's, I think that's a trend that's going to stay besides the sustainability angle because the sustainability angle is tied to it, but also this conscientious travel of like, where are you going? Like you said, where are you spending your money? How are you helping the local economy? Who needs it the most? How are you keeping people afloat? It's, we talk about the environment, obviously, and transport, you know, people choosing trains if they can over flights, if, and, and, you know, this talk about Amtrak having a, uh, high-speed rail from like San Francisco to Los Angeles and, you know, increasing the, um, getting better trains in the U.S. so that they're on par with what they have in Europe and Japan, which is a, you know, a bigger topic and a lot of money, obviously. Um, but then a lot of what I've seen with this impact of COVID and the lack of funds and the lack of tourism is also the rising tide of, black market trade in antiquities, black market mm -hmm. trade in species, which for me personally, both of those things just mm -hmm. off in a, rage, in a rage that I just can't, like I always have to calm myself down, especially animals, you know, antiquities, yes, uh, it, it's, it's up there, but animals especially, it's just seeing people going and going on these hunting safaris and shooting an mm -hmm. elephant the sake of shooting an elephant it's like why are you doing this and why are these countries allowing it but it's also tied into this tourism impact and like creating jobs like you said having having the rangers there at the park to stop the poachers giving people a chance to have a livelihood so they don't have to resort to poaching to feed their family so do you want to talk a little bit more about that or a little bit about that and maybe some of your clients and maybe in africa and other places that are that are challenging it a bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but, it, you know, I think that it, it does require a certain amount of awareness. So listen, I'm not 
you know, putting down anybody that just wants to like go to Africa, plan a trip to Africa and have like a delightful wildlife viewing experience. Like this isn't a judgment thing. I do think though, that there needs to be sort of an infusion of information, sort of an education level to like, you know, a, the why wilderness safaris or a lot of other, you know, hospitality, you know, safari companies exist is solely for, um, preservation of, of, of the local and community environments. Um, so I think that, you know, I can't really speak to like antiquities and all that kind of thing, or even hunting. I have no, I have no knowledge of those kind of things. And, but I, I, you know, other than reading about it, but I think the quicker that we get back to, um, getting people out into a safe, environment in those kind of more exotic destinations, the better. I was talking to a friend last night who's in Peru, she's in Lima. And she said, well, things are kind of crazy there. She said, Machu Picchu's open, but nobody's there. So in some ways it's probably a good time to go, but Peru yeah. is not managing their, their, their COVID sort of uh, vaccination situation very well. But she said, she goes, for the first time, in Lima, and Lima's of course on the ocean, they're seeing dolphins, um, she goes in, in years. And she said that the rainforest, you know, foliage in wildlife is, you know, uh, is really coming back um, in abundance. So, I mean, those kind of things are, are sort of small things, but, but heartening. But I think that, um, again, it, it, a lot of it is just, travel confidence. And I also think that, you know, countries have to be really transparent with travelers and uh, about what, what the situation is in their country when they go there, um, kind of veering off. But I do think, you know, I have no affiliation with travel insurance whatsoever, but I will say that I had a trip to Spain planned right before the pandemic. And luckily I had like canceled for any reason insurance. It was mm. my family. So tr travel insurance is really huge. I think right now, um, cause I think you have to plan ahead because I don't think you can rely on like local resources the way maybe you once could. And you have to kind of be a little more on your, uh, on your you know, look yeah. yeah. And also like find good brands and or tour operators if you're going somewhere really exotic and make sure you know what their plan is for how you're going to be traveling how you can interact hopefully with local communities um you know just i think there needs to be a more elevated conversation that travelers need to have with the travel providers you know what i mean because it used to be kind of like oh i'm just going on this trip and i have this great tour operator that has design this trip and you kind of go along for the ride, sort of, so to speak. But I think that it's time for the travelers to get a lot more sophisticated and educated and engaged in the how and the why and the where of what they're doing. And also the community piece, you know, yeah. like they should be trying to meet people when they're going to places, not just, you know, see animals yeah. or go to museums. I, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting time. 
And uh, I think you have to be a little bit brave to like start going out and traveling, but I also think you have to be smarter and wiser and more curious and, you know, ask different kinds of questions that maybe you did before. Yeah, yeah, no, that's all really, really great. It's funny that you talk about how you had travel insurance for your trip to Spain. I uh, had booked a trip for my big birthday in November. I won't say what the year, <laughs> how old I am, but big mo mo monumental birthday. And I, I rented a cabin in um, the Alps uh, uh, in Austria for two weeks by myself right by myself and um I was like okay and nobody's traveling nobody can go anywhere I can't bring my friends here or whatever I'm gonna go by myself and then I kept asking the guy who owned the cabin like what's the deal is am I going to be able to get on the train is there any like border thing I should worry about no 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 you're fine you're fine you're fine come to three days before and suddenly it's like Austria was like border closed Nope, nobody can come in unless they're coming specifically for work, like necessary work. So I wrote the guy, like, what's the deal? And he's like, I'm sorry, I have to cancel your reservation. I'm like, okay, canceled it. And then he refused to respond to my request for a refund. I was like, dude, you know, like I already lost on the on the train ride. Like I'll eat that, but I'm not going to eat $1,500 for yeah. two weeks in the cabin. And he just kept ignoring me, ignoring me, ignoring me. And then luckily... And this is, I'm not going to plug a credit card, but American Express, thank you for your great customer service. Because yeah. uh, this is why we pay a fee for you, because mm -hmm. all I had to do was complain to American Express. They investigated it. They took it off. Then they put it back on because the guy was like, no, like she signed, she signed a, you know, agreement or whatever. And then I said, look, it's COVID. Like I physically could not go there. It's not a question of like, oh, I decided not act, to go there. I could have. It's an act of and God then, and an act of government. Like, you know. Yes, exactly. And then finally, American Express was like, don't worry about it. We're taking it off. Because I was like, I've been your customer for 20 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. So thank God for, <laughs> I have the insurance, but American Express was my insurance. But you're right. Travel insurance is very important going forward. And there's a that huge you might not have been able to get travel insurance because I don't know if you did it through like, you know, a home booking site, like a, you know, VRBO or Airbnb, but not to necessarily call them out in sort of like the, the, the negative way, but they got a lot of pushback. Just, they had a lot of situations similar to you at the beginning of COVID because they do not, once you like kind of sign on to a, to a, you know, staying in one of those places through Airbnb, because, you know, Airbnb is really a technology company, right? They don't provide yeah. any product. So they had so much pushback from, from uh, guests who had like booked through them because they weren't getting these refunds. And again, just like you, they weren't even allowed to like, in your case, cross a border, you know, they had to quarantine. So a lot of Airbnb, it's up to the Airbnb host and probably the same with any of the other um, you know, direct to, you know, the booking sites. Um, it's up to them to put their cancellation policy up. So I, I have booked a couple Airbnbs during this last year, this COVID year, and made sure that they were, you know, flexible and cancelable if I needed them to be. You know, even if it was up to like, I, I understand if you want it to be up to like, 
38, I mean, 36 or 48 hours, that's fine, but not like never, like, you know, especially in this, in this era. So a lot of hotels have gotten way more flexible with, you know, offering full refunds and, you know, being able to have flexibility um, depending on, cause listen, it could be open, but then all of a sudden, maybe somebody in your family has to like, you know, has gotten sick or has to quarantine yeah. or something like that. And you can't, you can't go. So I would say to anybody, not that this is like a tip show, but I would say that, you know, it's a big tip is check cancellations. Do not book, uh, you know, like, you know, like the big, like online booking companies, they will incentivize you to like book without cancellation fees or without cancellation. They'll, they'll charge you a little bit less. So say a, a, a hotel room would be, you know, $250. With the opportunity to cancel if you needed to, or two hundred dollars, book it no cancellation. So if you're super duper sure and don't care that you know you you may lose out on that if you can't do it, then you know be incentivized by that smaller that smaller rate. But I think everybody right now should you know just build in flexibility to their to their schedules because. It's uh, that if like if I hadn't had that that trip insurance, and again, COVID wasn't even like you know a thing when I first booked the trip. Um, I mean, I don't know what I would have received back as a refund. Yeah. Because when you book through a tour operator, because they're then buying the tour guides, the hotels, the transfers, you know, they're the tickets to this the and so it's you know then they have to go try to get the refunds from all of those but you know it's not your problem if you <laughs> have your trip You're insurance. yeah exactly no that's that's great trip uh i'm going to ask you more about your travel tips but before that the one question i wanted to ask was what are some positive things that have come out of the pandemic for for travel i mean it's been bad, obviously, uh, for everybody, but there's always a little bit of, of good that comes out of every bad thing, right? Um, people are kinder to each other. Well, I hoped people would be kinder to each other. Uh, people are more conscientious about, you know, how they're spending their money, who they want to spend their time with. People are taking the time to be with their loved ones because they're stuck in a house with their loved ones. So either either you fall apart or you get closer, et cetera. But for travel, what are, I mean, you touched upon a couple of them that, you know, in Peru, the dolphins were coming back and things like that. Um, yeah. If you can expand on that or if there's other positive things that have come out. You know what, I, I think just on a personal level for me, you know, again, I'm a working mom you know, I have two companies, I have two teenagers and um, husband who also has his own company. So we're always like running wild, like, you know, like pre-COVID, like, you know, this one's going here, this one. It was, so not so much that it's travel, but we have had a lot more time together in a positive way, you know, mm -hmm. and especially, you know, when you have two teenagers, you know, you're lucky to get them, you know, for one family dinner a night, let, a week, let alone <laughs> a few. So on that level, it's been positive. And also we've had, we're, we are a traveling family. So we have had more opportunity to explore. The last few big trips that we've taken as a family have been on safari 
in Africa to Botswana. Then we went to Mongolia for a couple of weeks. And then we went yes. to Ireland on a big road trip. But this last year, we have explored America more, right? We took a ski trip to Vermont and we went on an RV trip in the summer, which was, I had a great time. We went through Yellowstone, you know, kind of like exploring our own backyard, Yellowstone yeah. to Montana, over to South Dakota. I saw like Mount Rushmore for the first time, you know, whereas I probably would have been somewhere, you know, else. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that for that, for me, that's kind of like more on the personal side, but I'm seeing that with other friends that kind of exploring more, you know, those staycations, those drive destinations, you know, people are still exploring, but kind of rediscovering what maybe is like right there next to them. I mean, my friend in Peru actually told me yesterday, she's like, you know what? I've never been to Patagonia. So she's going to go down wow. to Patagonia. So meaning like it's close because yeah. she, she can't get back. She's actually Swiss German and she can't get back to um, Switzerland yeah. like anytime soon because it's very, very expensive right now to get, get out of the country of Peru. So she's like, you know what? I think we're going to like drive, you know, friends are going to drive down to Patagonia. So again, it's, I'm seeing that sort of cycle all over the place, which is, you know, just exploring what's kind of under your nose. And even if it's a little bit of a, a drive or a train ride away or something. I did hear something and I, and I have to follow up on it, that they're considering banning airline trips that are less than two hours away because it's very bad for, you know, it's such bad for the environment, like the sort of energy and, uh, and where in which, in which continent all over the world. I think in the US, they're trying to do that. I don't know if it's gonna actually be able to pass, but I'm saying that that's sort of like the thinking. So, you know, it's kind of combining a couple of your topics, which is like sustainability and, you know, but also the staycation piece, which is, you know, not that driving is like, you know, the solution to everything, but um, it's, it's probably more economically, you know, viable. And also if you're carpooling or, you know, like four people in one, one car, but I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I, I have to follow up on that to see if that's legislatively going to, um, going to happen. But, you know, I, I, I think people are, are talking more and more about, you know, where I, I did a, a road trip from Florida to New York. I never would have done that if it wasn't COVID. Wow. <laughs> I did that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you did that a couple of weeks ago. Wow. You're still yeah. always on the road, Jennifer. Always I know. On the road. Well, I was in California last week. From I did a road trip from San Francisco to LA. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, because I mean, I think there's a lot to see, like, you know, and there's so much America, especially is, I think, such a beautiful I know. country. I know. States. I mean, yeah. listen, I, there's nothing more I would love to be is like sitting, having this conversation with you at a cafe in Berlin. Um, you know, that just sounds really just more my, my, my jam, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> but 
you know, uh, instead this weekend, I'm going to try to go to the New York City Botanical Gardens because I haven't been there in years, you know, so it's sort of like trying to find like little moments that are local, I think are really important. A for, you know, just it's, it's nice just to get out, but I think for people's mental wellness and state of mind, and especially as spring is really starting to come to life around the world, at least in North America, um, or in North of the equator, um, you know, it's, it's a good time to get out and about and just poke around your own, you know, neighborhood and, you know, local areas, even if you don't have a car, like, there's, there are, especially from New York, great opportunities and train. People are very into like, and I'm sure it's like this in Berlin, because I can remember that, you know, we have all our city bikes here. People are very into like, yeah. it's, it's New York has delightfully become a much more bike friendly town. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you touched on a lot of interesting topics there. I mean, like you said, you're exploring your own backyard. I think it's, you know, having grown up uh, almost my whole life in the U.S., I took it very much for granted. You know, I was always like, I can't wait to go to Thailand. I can't wait to go to New Zealand. Yeah. I went, I've been to New Zealand six times, but I've never, I've seen only seen one U.S. national park. You know, oh I mean, it's, God. yeah, it's crazy. And the summer before I moved here, I was planning on hitting all the national parks that I could in that summer because they were free. It was like the hundredth anniversary or whatever. Then I got into a horrible accident um, on a trip here. That was not my fault. Uh, and I couldn't go. And then I, I moved here with a bad back and horrible pain and chronic pain and stuff like that. But it was like, it was like my chance. Like, I'm not going to wait until I retire because that's always the dream. Like when you retire, you're going to get that Winnebago with your husband and your kids are, you know, out of the house and you're going to go cross country and you're VW van or whatever, and you're going to see all the states and go to all the parks, but it's like, why not do it now? And I think what you, you touched upon that, that people are, are sort of like, America is very diverse. We have every microclimate here. We have the most mm-hmm. insane patterns of anywhere in the world. We have everything. Um, why not, if we can't go out, why not stay in and see as much of it? Um, I think it's great that that's a trend that people are doing more. I wish more people would do it because I feel like Americans tend to be very provincial and like they like their space and where they Mm -hmm. are, you know, they don't like to go out of their home state or their home territory. Um, And I I think think it's, even if you have everything there, it's nice to see what's out there. I mean, it's, you know, we had a, we had a beach house for a while and I kind of, force the hand of my husband to sell it because I don't like going to the same place all the time, but many people do like, you know, they want yeah. to just go. I kind of like, if I've been somewhere, you know, I, I, I put it at the bottom of my list, you know, to, you know, might go back into the rotation, but not for a while. And right. so I know I'm, I'm similar to you, although I will give a little plug for like the national parks in the United States. I mean, like I said, when I did that RV trip last summer, which was completely, you know, out of the norm for, for the way we normally traveled. It was, it was fun. And it's kind of like the only way to see it. Cause you have to do it, you know, 
in a car and on foot and you're kind of like very deeply ensconced with, you know, and also the, um, the state parks, you know, like for instance, when we were in yeah. South Dakota, there was some insanely beautiful state parks. Yeah. And it was the same with Utah. You wouldn't believe how beautiful the state that is. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of road trips. I, I have done many road trips in the U.S. and, you know, love kind of like plotting that out and sort of roadside attractions to like kind of quirky hotels, mixing quirky hotels and des and stays with, you know, luxury, you know, stays sort of on either end. Um, it's because you can't camping is hard if you do it for like three <laughs> for like months or something at hard yeah. ground. You're like, Oh, I want a spa now. Can we stay in a spa hotel? Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful to, to explore. I'm kind of done. I'm not going to really be probably doing that much more like tent camping, you know, sleeping on the ground, but I did do a trip a couple of years ago to Peru. It was a hiking trip. It was a, you know, you hike all day, you know, tent camping, but then they added a trip where you could actually sleep in hotels every night but you can use some like really rigorous like you know multi-mile trips into like really remote areas but then at the yeah. end of the day you're like sleeping in a normal hotel and it was like okay that's my kind of adventure <laughs> yeah you're like I need my soak I need my uh massage yeah. at the end of the day yeah you're you're very much like me you like to explore the new and unexpected under the radar the kind of different you like to get out of like your environment and go somewhere completely different each time and explore something new. I'm very much the same way. Uh, I think you touched upon a couple of your favorite places, but what are some of your other favorite destinations? Ones that you can recommend that that you that you love. Others that you're like, I'm never going to go there again. Um, and where's the first place you're going when things give a green light? I don't know if you're doing like a work related like trip with journalists or if you're going to do a trip with your family or whatever, but. You know, I really would love to go to Rwanda to the, have a gorilla experience that, and also to see Kigali. I really want to see, I, I hear that Kigali, the, the city has completely transformed. I'm kind of fascinated by, by um, Rwanda. Post-war transformation. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, one of the places that impacted me most early on in my international travelers travel, which I don't think is, you know, necessarily safe to go to right now, which is Myanmar to Burma. I went there a couple times and, oh my gosh, I mean, it was really, I'm kind of more inclined toward a Buddhist culture anyway. And yeah. it was a very like, impactful spiritual you know visceral kind of place and I went to very remote destinations um, up the Irrawaddy River so I mean if and when that can kind of come back into play at some point um, I would definitely put that back on my list and re recommend it to anybody um, just in terms it's very very you know high adventure I mean it's uh you know. It's not for the, the weak or the fainter. It's not Paris. Um, yeah. But it's I can always go to Paris. Love Paris. And, you know, um, <laughs> we'll definitely look forward to, you know, wandering those streets. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in a grappling kind of place right now because I am 
going, I'm trying to plan which, where I'm going to go at the end of August with my kids before they go back to school. And, you know, everybody kind of like, oh my God, I should just have like so much at my fingertips. But because I'm always so internationally sort of focused um, and now I'm trying to focus on, on local, um, I don't know. I'm kind of considering maybe the Pacific Northwest Hmm. Over, I mean, that's when I was, that's why I kind of knew a little bit about Alaska. I was looking into Alaska yeah. and I think it's a little out of my price range because it's so priced out right now. You could probably go if you had like sort of, you know, bottomless, uh, pit of money. Um, yeah. and it, 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 that's definitely on my, on my hit list because I haven't been there. So, um, I'm stumbling a little bit because I've, we've literally as a, as a family tried to kind of figure this out. I, I sort of suggested maybe we do another RV trip, like road trip, but my kids have, you know, I've got a 16 year old and a 15 year old who are like, no, we're not no going. Way. I don't want to be stuck in a car with you for that long. Even a car. We had a big RV, like yeah. a living, you know, like a, like a, you're like on a little house. I mean, I, yeah, I they appreciate it when they're older, but not <laughs> as a teacher. Yeah. I guess I, I, I hope so. So um, I have a good friend that lives in Kauai, so we may go there. So I'm, I'm kind of being hesitant only because I really um, wish that I had like a, had an easy, simple answer. Probably nowhere in the South because I don't want to be super hot. So um, I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> At this point. But I mean, I, you know, once things sort of get back to quote unquote normal, I mean, I definitely want to go to Croatia and uh, to back to Greece and, you know, all the Grecian islands when I was there. I mean, it's just, I, I didn't want to leave. I mean, that was definitely a place yeah, I felt like I could, you know, talking about trends though, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting. I happen to have two kids in school, so it's a little harder for me. But if I was a little more mobile, I, you know, this, this trend from work from anywhere, I think mm -hmm. is really interesting. I've had a lot of people just that in my office sort of decamp in different places. Somebody who lived in LA, spent a bunch of time in the Pacific Northwest. Somebody that lived in Brooklyn, gave up her apartment and went out to Arizona and to Joshua Tree for several months. You know, yeah. I've noticed that a lot of, you know, my friends and colleagues are, have been doing that. And I think that it kind of is going to lend itself to a new normal. So as we, as we see travel start to open up, I think that there's such an opportunity for people to like, not make these like kind of quickie trips somewhere and kind of hurry back home, but sort of say, you know what, I'm going to go down to Costa Rica for like a month because, yeah. you know, I can find a, you know, a cool place to stay for not that much money and work from work from there and still explore. I think that could be like a very cool trend that comes out of this. Like you said, talk about the positive. I yeah. would love to see that because I think Americans especially, I mean, listen, you're in Germany. So you're seeing people like, we have six weeks off of holiday, you know? And I think that's so healthy, but I think, you know, that kind of thing is not gonna change in America, but I think this flexibility, work flexibility is going to change, but I think that'll help change the travel industry because people will be able to go places for longer. And uh, I think that will be a very cool thing to watch and see where people are like, you know, dialing in from. 
Yeah, I think they're calling that workation or something. That's the trend word, the buzzword about that. Um, going for a vacation and then staying longer to do your yeah. work from vice versa or I whatever. No, definitely see it. I have a coworker who, who's been stuck in Colombia since last January um, because she went on sabbatical for three months and was supposed to come back last March and has been stuck there, has been living on the beach there. And yeah. she is Czech. She is from the Czech Republic, but she's just like, I can't leave. There's, there's, there were no flights out for the longest time. And then it was just too costly. So she's just been living there and adopted a dog and sort of just living there and going, I don't know when I'm going to come back. We're like, yeah. when are you coming? when are we going to see you? But, you know, she, she, you know, had the money for the sabbatical and now it's like, okay, I ran out of the money. What do I do? How can I get back home? I can't mm -hmm. right now so working and, and, and helping the friends that she's made there and she's made lifelong friends. And she's just like, I, you know, I want to come back, but these are my lifelong friends too. Like it's, a, it, it turned out to be a good thing for her, even That's though. So cool. I know. I love that. Yeah. I have a friend yeah. that is lives in Malibu. She's in real estate, but she's running her mal her um, real estate business from Taos right now, and she has been she's been there for a few months, you know, because sort of like why not? Um, so I just I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You know, people will be able to travel more freely. I think in the end it'll be good for the travel industry because we're not going to be so restricted by like, oh my God, we have just such a, a small amount of time to like, you know, spend. Actually, and I think yeah. that's sort of the problem with, you know, and I think that's why so many millennials, younger people don't want full-time jobs because they, they don't want to just like, they want to get out on the road and experience different things and be different places and still work and make a living. And, but also have an adventure. And I think that this allows them to sort of do both. And I say them, I just think it's, there's more flexibility again. Like I've got two teenagers who still have to go to school. So I don't have the flexibility to like, you know, bounce them around all over the place during the school year. But, um, I certainly have felt a lot of envy from people who are like dialing in from <laughs> like yeah, yeah. a tree, some cool little, like, you know, spot. I'm like, Oh, I want to be there. Um, yeah. So I, I I love it. I think that that will be something to watch, something to, yeah. to definitely. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your company and and Hawkins, a little bit about Maverick before uh, we go. But um, yeah, can you talk a bit about how and why you started Hawkins PR way way back in the day? Because we've known each other, I think, over twenty five years now. Not to Tell everybody our ages, but um, yeah, over 25 years uh, when I was at Cigar Aficionado as a senior editor covering the travel beat and then onwards to the other places I worked at um, and today. And uh, yeah, can you talk a bit about like what made you decide to go out on your own? Were you working at a different PR agency at the time? And then you're like, you know what? I can do this on my own and, and develop my own company. Or did you immediately after university say, I'm starting my own company and here I go? Well, there's a lot. I know there's a lot. lot of questions. No, I know. Well, I'll just give you like the short version. One is I made, I went to school in California at the University of California at Irvine and majored in a very unique major called social ecology. So it was like sociology, psychology, 
criminology and urban planning. So I originally thought that I was going to be going to law school eventually, and I moved to DC and worked for a woman's nonprofit. So I thought that I was either going to like sort of stay in like, you know, sort of a social justice sort of like avenue. But the problem is I was working for this really cool organization, but I was making like $17,000 a year. And so I had to like, I was living in a group house with like five people, like all these different crazy roommates and stuff. And then finally I was offered a PR job and that kind of catapulted me into a totally different, you know, sort of area and focus. And it was more commercial driven. So eventually it led me to New York where I was the in-house PR director for Orient Express Hotels, which is now been rebranded as Belmont. So that really opened my eyes to like, not just PR, but the world of hospitality. So when I was young, my dad was a lawyer. And when I say young, I grew up in very provincial Chicago and I, he took me, he had been the Dean of Men years before I was even born, but like the Dean of Men at the Loyola in Rome. So he really, mm. he took me out of school when I was in seventh grade for six weeks and was a very convincing person because the teachers wanted to hold me back. Like you can't take somebody out of school for six weeks and expect them just to move on. And he was like, she's gonna learn more in the six weeks she's with me than she will like six weeks sitting in like public school, Chicago. Um, so, <laughs> and that's what we went out and did. We got a Eurail pass and we had a backpack and he left to, you know, he took a sabbatical from his law firm. And this is honestly in like the late seventies. So it was very, you know, like very, like not what you did. <laughs> um, and so that kind of helped me to like have a, sort of sense that I wanted to have a lifestyle that allotted me to like explore and adventure and be with and be in and with different people from different cultures. So I didn't want to just like dip in and dip out. So the way that I, you know, I, I've had this company now, Hawkins International for almost 20 years and Maverick for almost two is, you know, it allows me to like work in different countries with different people from different cultures and also to travel there. And, you know, I, when I was at Orient Express Hotels at the time on a personal side, I was, I told them I was leaving. I was going to be moving from New York to San Francisco. I hired my replacement because I was going to be getting married. And then I cut off my engagement. And then all of a sudden I didn't have a job and I didn't, and I wasn't getting married. So I was like, oh, okay. and I'm not moving. So now I was like stuck back in New York, no job. And like, single. So anyway, I started as a freelancer. And so it was very like accidental and, 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 and very unintentional to like build a business. However, I loved what I did so much, both in terms of working with the media, I would say that that's, that almost superseded in a surprising level, how much it uh, motivated me to stay in public relations. I love working with journalists. I love kind of like that. Really? Really? Yeah, you're so. I, I I often feel bad for PR people, which is why I always try to respond to their emails to me, even if it's just something I'm not interested in, because I feel like we're just so dismissive of you guys, unless we want something from you, then we want it immediately. It's like, please get this to me immediately. You're like, well, wait a minute. Well, that's <laughs> um, true, but there's people like 
you and other journalists, so I wouldn't, you know, say every journalist every time, everywhere, but you know what? I like the story piece of it. Like, let's figure out the angle, the story, sort of the, and, and there's great satisfaction that when you kind of bring something to life and it kind of literally comes to print, in fruition, there's still like a real excitement for me that happens and helping a client sort of realize what their value is and what their story is and also advising them on what isn't a story. So anyway, so exactly. I really love like the media piece of it because then I love like, you know, I love magazines and, you know, and I, I mean, I just kind of am hungry for all of that. And then you add in the travel piece, which I'm lucky that I sort of just decided to park myself in a niche that motivated me, excited me. I was, I'm always curious about it. And so I consider myself as much an expert in PR and as much as I do in, you know, hospitality. And then just yeah. sort of ancillary to like the media piece to it, right? And then I consider myself an entrepreneur. So I bring that up because there's a lot of PR agencies and, you know, we're independent, we're boutique little agency, never had big funding or anything like that. But once I decided about 10 years ago to like, not just be a PR agency that did like, had cool little travel hotel clients, but to operate my organization as a company and, you know, profit and, you know, just kind of buttoned it up as a, as a, as a real organization and, and entity, it really took off. And, um, you know, I'm, so I'm very, very fortunate and kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm plugging like travel as you can be in, you know, listen, to be in the travel industry, you don't have to like, you know, work in a hotel or, um, you know, work in the management company side of it or big corporate. Um, you can, be very ensconced in and part of a very dynamic global industry. And, you know, from this point of view, so travel is so exciting for me. Like I get excited and delighted and happy. And then listen, there's also the business aspect to like a lot of our clients. And that's really important to tell those stories as well. Those vision stories, you know, with thought leaders, but again, it's all about an industry that is vibrant and morphing and growing, whether it's challenged or not, but how do you tell those stories? So, you know, anybody who's listening, that's kind of like, what do I want to do? Like career wise, you have to find something that like is going to sustain you in sort of an interest level, because I still get crazy excited about figuring out that next destination that I'm going to go to, like you asked earlier, and I still don't know. So it kind of gives me like, Oh my God, I got to figure. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I love, you know, this industry, the travel piece, the PR piece, the media piece and how it all kind of comes together and our little piece in the, in the pie of how to make, you know, an impact. Um, so that's sort of a little bit of me. I mean, and I would yeah. say for anybody that wants to like get into PR, just be like a voracious reader of the world events, you know, uh, and be a great writer. And Donna, I think of you and your and journalists, editors in general, that's my audience, right? The, the clients right. that are hiring us, a hotel, let's say, or a hotel company, 
they don't they don't really have that that mindset they think of their audience as like the end user the consumer right and i'm like no how i communicate to the likes of an editor is way more important because i that's why i need great writers that's why i need great storytellers that's why i need people to follow up and to be responsive because i'm only as good as our agency is only as good as like our relationships with people like you because if you kind of think that we're like flaky and not smart and not insightful or, you know, responsive in any way, you know, we get, you know, pushed to the side. There's a lot of people, you know, vying for your attention. So it's- No, but you got your, your agency and you in particular have always been on it. And I, what I've always appreciated about you when I lived in New York City and went to the events, you came to every single one of your events. <laughs> You didn't leave it to your second in command, your VPs or this person, you know, if it was a lunch, if it was a cocktail hour, if it was a dinner, it's like, oh, there's Jennifer. I never (laughs) saw that with, with, you know, most of the others, you know, there were a couple of other agencies that were like you were, they were, the owner was very much in it. Like Alice Marshall is always like really, really in there. Um, And she's a person. Yeah. She's a personal friend too. So like you two, you guys are always there, always on it. And the kinds of press releases I would get and the kinds of queries I would get made sense. So there was always like, oh yes, we can definitely make sure your clients in this article, or we can definitely do an article about your client. We could do this. So that's why I think all these years we've, we've remained in touch, even though I moved from New York and I came here and now I'm working at a travel booking company that, you know, we created a magazine for, it's still like the, you know, even though we're far away, it's still connected. So um, I've appreciated how on the ball you were and how you're tenacious. You're very tenacious, but super kind at the same time. Like you were never one of these, you were never one of these PR people who was like, you know, pushing for like, come on, get, get right about me, right about my uh, clients. You were always like, at the same time, understanding and kind, and your approach is very kind. So kudos to you for surviving this long and for flourishing this long and having two companies now and having such a good reputation. And even your former employees just have nothing but lovely things to say about you. So nice. Well, that's so kind. And I appreciate that because we work really hard at that. And you know, we, you know, we, you know, it's going to elevate the level of professionalism. And I think it's good for all of us to like, you know, you know, it's something that we tell clients. And I think this is really important for you as a journalist to hear. And it kind of shocks some prospective clients, especially when we're just meeting them. And I'll say, listen, you client who's paying me are equally as important to the journalist who is not paying me, but my relationship with both are equal. And so the thing is, I think a lot of PR people do not approach it that way. That's why they get very heavy with like a journalist because they're, they're only sort of thinking about what they need to do for that client as opposed yeah. to what's the long game. Like you said, we've known each other 25 years, like through many iterations, you know, and those relationships are really important to me that we maintain them and not even just in a gratuitous sort of like business sort of fashion, but the relationships that we're able to like sort of forge that are personal and intimate. It, one of the, one of the things that we try to do with, you know, journalists is no is a fine answer, you know, but there's, there's 
an elevated relationship if you have a journalist who says that's thank you for pitching me that's not right for me now or it's not of interest or whatever because if you don't get any response that means you really don't have any relationship so i always tell clients like listen it's just as important for a journalist to say no thank you but at least we're hearing no thank you as opposed to silence crickets right (laughs) so yeah it's it's always it's a journey and we're we're evolving and morphing but it's uh it's exciting and i am optimistic about the travel industry as a whole i mean it's going to be a a slow burn up especially you know there's a lot of countries that don't have uh the sort of speed in which they need to get the the vaccine going but i'm hopeful that you know the wto and um the, the the rest of the global entities and other countries like america and the uk that have extra vaccines will, you know, deploy them to other countries, you know, because, you know, we're only going to be as healthy here as the world is in total, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really important. So I feel optimistic that we'll, we'll get there. It's, it's just going to be continued to be a, a little bit of a, a slow climb. The good news is Broadway, they just started selling Broadway tickets. Yeah, I saw that for for the fall so we'll see (laughs) so that that seems to step in the right direction yeah we um uh, there's there's been a lot of talk about that actually for the uh, window seat uh we have an article coming up about how these theater people around the world have coped with the crisis uh and how they've you know either had to change their careers temporarily or how they've one of them kept open in the small little theater. Uh, so it's a quite an interesting story because they've really like, yeah, the creative pr- profession and acting and producing and, and theater in particular more so than movies um, has really, really been um, decimated in, in a bad way. So oh. it's great to see them coming back. Great to see travel coming back. I can't wait to take my next trip. I'm itching to go back to Greece, to sail in Greece again for two weeks, oh, which I did. I'm- two years ago two years ago in June was the last time I was on vacation um and it was a wonderful wonderful learning to sail trip through the Saronic Gulf in Greece and we you know uh, 12 of us on a boat and we lived on the boat we cooked on the boat and we swam in coves and we helped you know uh, sail and put the sails up and you know helped as a crew, as crew, so to speak, um, to get our certification and turned that phone off and just didn't think about anything. It was wonderful. You're making me- I can't even, after the last year and a half, I'm like, that was the last time that I was really zen and at peace, you know, Uh, just really not caring, just looking on the, you know, off the front of the boat and sitting there and having my lemonade and just being like, this is, there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be. And that's the beauty of travel when you can have these experiences where you're there and you're really in it and you can be by yourself. You could be with your friends, you could be with your lover, whatever, but you just look out and say, there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be than here. I'm so happy to be here. And there's so many wonderful places that can give you that. So I think that's great. It's so true. And this has been such a wonderful, wonderful, informative uh, 
dynamic, delightful conversation, as Conan O'Brien likes to say in his podcast, delightful. You've been a delightful guest. He says that about everybody. But you really have been a delightful guest. I mean, this is a topic you're so passionate about. This is a topic I'm so passionate about, yeah. something you know very lots and lots of stuff about because you're in it um, like me, but you're even more in it because it's just day to day like this. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk to me and talk to my listeners out there about this beautiful industry that we're a part of that is going to come back roaring um, better than ever, hopefully, and that everybody should, should be a part of in some way, even if it's just traveling to the town, next town over, um, explore, yeah. travel, True. help people. Yeah, yeah. Don't make just it so far to to have it be considered a trip. Yes, and what is the what is that quote that people say? Travel is the only thing you spend money on that makes you richer. It's kind of corny, but it's true. Um, yeah. It is. yeah, I like. That. And I hope that um, you can decide on where you're going to go next. I know. And uh, and I hope it's somewhere as exciting and dynamic as you. Yeah. Oh, you're sweet. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for you know, continuing on, like, you know, the, you know, you doing such great journalism and reporting, not just about places and, you know, kind of the where the stays and where to eat and what to see, yeah. but actually like bringing to life, you know, different people's personalities and perspectives, because I think that's all of what we're all needing and wanting is just that extra little connection. And even if it's sometimes a little inspirational and armchairy, it's good to like have have deeper conversations with people. And it's nice to talk to you that, you know, in a more relaxed setting. So thank you so yeah. much. And you just so articulate and um, have so much good stuff to say about the industry, not just focusing on the negatives. Um, so this is really great that it's been a very positive, informative conversation. So I really like it. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, I hope to see you soon. Come on over to Germany. We'll have a coffee in that cafe sometime. Right, Thank well, you so much. Hey, I will talk Bye. to you soon. Now You're Talking with D is hosted, produced, and edited by me, D, with music by Scott Benzlowitz. I'm trying to get a message to you. The easiest thing just comes to me. And it comes to you This has been a Best Revenge production.